0: Hi, everybody. This is Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. Uh, it's, I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Today's episode, I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend Tristan. Um, we met, I don't even think we talked about this in the episode, but we like met through friends like 13 or 14 years ago, a long time. Uh, and just a person who like really landed in my consciousness uh, as a bright light in this world. And we got reconnected recently and just... I love Tristan's story. I love people who really pursue getting better over time and just allow 1% better every day. And I am blown away with Tristan has this very simple and beautiful formula for getting rid of insecurity in relationships. Um, And I'm excited for you to hear it. Uh, And excited for you to hear our episode. I laughed so much. And one of my favorite parts about editing this podcast is listening to my conversations again and laughing. I usually laugh at the same parts and I forget that I I laughed as much. Um, It's the closest I have to having a twin is listening to things I've already done and laughing at the same time again. Um, Anyway, um, before we get to the show, I want to tell you about the best way to support this podcast, which is through my Patreon page. Patreon is a website that allows creators like me to create work uh, and a membership Site for folks like you who want to support the work in the world. Um, This podcast is entirely supported by my Patreon. Uh, So is my blog, QueerFatFemme.com, and pretty much everything I do is supported by Patreon at this point in the coronavirus. Uh, I'm so grateful to my Patreon supporters uh, for being there for me, with me, uh, and doing the thing. And I'm super grateful to get to do this work. I Part of the Patreon, my flagship tier is Fat Kid Dance Party Aerobics Online Classes. Fat Kid Dance Party is an aerobics class I created for anybody who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. If you've ever been called too much, uh, too fat, or felt too awkward to dance, this is the class for you. Uh, It's all levels. I've had people who have done Ironman, and I've had people who haven't uh, done any movement for years enjoy and love my class and find benefit from it. As a teacher, I would say I draw a lot of inspiration from Richard Simmons and Miss Piggy, but of course, in my own way. And I'll say, I, here's my special sauce. 80% of Fat Kid Dance Party is literally just mindset. So I'm really there teaching you mindset stuff about loving your body, freeing yourself and tons of stuff to help you navigate the world a little bit easier to reduce your anxiety. Um, a lot of good stretching. There's always six classes available. A 10-minute, a 20-minute, a 45-minute, and uh, two full 55 to 60-minute classes plus a chair class. So all of that. Six classes to choose from at a time. Every week I, I upload a new fresh video. Um, and you can find all of that at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash F-K-D-P, which stands for Facted Dance Party. Now that's the $25 tier, but five bucks a month gets you access to Bevan's Bites, which is an exclusive podcast just for my Patreon listeners. Um, it has lots of Reiki healings, meditations, um Q&A questions, advice, uh, and then things I'm going through, updates that I only share there, uh, ways that I've dealt with like when trauma and trigger comes up. um, And because I always find it really helpful when teachers of mine kind of walk me through their process of just living life. So that's all there. Plus, any level at my Patreon, any level of support, you get access to my weekly Zoom aerobics class. It's 11 a.m. Pacific on Saturdays. I was so resistant to teaching on Zoom. I thought it would be really hard. And it's actually been great. I love it. I love seeing people smiling faces after class. And we do a little like 10 minute hangout and just introduce each other. So if you want to meet friends during this pandemic, if you want to just jiggle your body and enjoy that body that you have today, not the body you had 10 years ago, not the body you think you should have, but this body right now. Um, and you can join that class, even if you don't join Patreon, tickets are 12 bucks. Um, and you can find the link on my Instagram profile, which is Bevan's Party or Fat Kid Dance Party, both of those. Um, but anyway, I just super appreciate you tuning into the podcast. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Tristan. Tristan. And it leaves you feeling inspired to just get a little bit better in your life. Now, Tristan, welcome to the podcast. You can't thank you this. for having me. You just made the best face. I was, I, I I, actually intentionally want this to be audio, but like, I want you to know that Tristan makes great facial expressions. Um. Uh,
1: I hate all pictures of me for this reason, because I'm so expressive that I always look like a demented Muppet, like in every freeze frame of me talking publicly. I can't help it, it's just what my face does.
0: Um, I love the Muppets so much. Strongly identify as a Muppet, not a person. Um, Like when I get my makeup done by a makeup artist, I say specifically I wanna look like Miss Piggy, and I'm not joking. So, like, because you got it in the big cheeks, the like strong pink on the cheeks, the strong eye, right? And like, and also I have a Muppet smile, but I don't, I don't think I look like a demented Muppet most of the time. But I love that you do.
1: I certainly do. You need yeah. all the <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Tristan is joining me from Portland, Oregon, uh, and is what's your sign? I don't even know your astro- your astrology. That
1: really, that's how we're starting.
0: Yeah yeah that's
1: not oh god i'm a libra
0: You're a li- oh great that's actually perfect for the work you do
1: um okay next time someone asks me i'm just gonna lie and say i'm something else and then they're gonna be like oh my god that's actually perfect for the work you do and then i'm gonna be like ha ha just kidding none of this is science i'm a libra and then they're gonna be like oh but that is also perfect for the work you do and i'll be like no no
0: do you know your rising or your moon? <laughs> I
1: don't know any of those things. You
0: don't? I'm shocked. How have you been queer for this long? And no one has sat you down and been like, Tristan, I need to do your birth chart.
1: They've tried. <laughs> I just can't get into I cannot get into The birth chart thing, especially since they've said that the way that the planetary alignment is, whatever we thought our signs were, are no longer even our signs. Like it's literally all made up. And I'm so happy that it brings meaning to people's lives, but I've also seen it used as a weapon. And so I'm like, I do not know. I will not participate in this. This is (laughs) shenanigans.
0: Okay. I wanna just say I too have seen that weaponized. I, too, have heard the thing, but I think it's BS. I think astrology is so old that it's, like, necessary. Like, it's just part of it, but it's fine. I Here's the thing. Have you watched Battlestar Galactica?
1: No. <laughs>
0: okay. What a treat you have in store for you to watch this show. Because you love sci-fi. We were just talking about this before, before I started recording. So, uh, Battlestar Galactica, you're going to love it. And... I believe it all and it and it really like there's a moment in like season four where they really tie astrology into like the destiny of the universe and of course that appealed to me but i think you'll like the sci-fi and character development and there is not an interdimensional uh gay orgy
1: no <laughs> no that's, that's that well that's what sensate was good for uh-huh. <laughs> gay sex i'm so so glad that it just is. I don't know the like horoscope thing. It feels, it's just another religion to me. It's just like more belief in the unknown. And again, it's so great. I'm so glad if it gives people meaning, but then it is also like, just as I don't want a Christian being like, what, you don't believe in the Bible? I'm like, yes, because it's all fucking made up. Like it's all made up. It's made up by humans whenever it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's just not, it's just not for me.
0: That's great. I'm glad that it's not for you and yet also still understand you as a Libra. <laughs> of
1: course you do. Sure. Sure. JK, I'm a Sagittarius. Ah, sucker. No, I'm a really, no I No, I wouldn't trick you like that.
0: Thank you. Thank you for coming to my podcast with I your would true do that honest for it with, opinions.
1: If there was somebody that I hated, that's what I would do to them.
0: Oh, yeah. If you hate someone, tell them you're a Pisces. Okay. I'm just kidding. I, that was just a dig at all Pisces.
1: <laughs> Again, means nothing to me. because You don't believe in it because it's not science.
0: <laughs> um, I, I, Yeah. So, okay. So we won't go down the astrology path, but I do. There's a lot of astrology babes who listen to my podcast. So I think they like to know. Um, that is great. I also like to know. I like to understand my friends more. So I like to use it. It's funny that you say it's not science because I feel like a lot of astrologers treat it as science and like dig into like the star charts because it's all math. You know. Anyway,
1: totally. The stars are definitely science, <laughs> but the way that the stars were lined up, the moment you happen to emerge into the planet, that's the thing that I just don't get. Is just like then how, how I, is like your personality determined by the alignment of the stars when you're born? Like that's that's the piece. I'm not saying it does. It's not real, but I'm also not. I'm like I also don't tell people that the Bible's not real or Jesus isn't real. That's not for me to say.
0: Yeah. But just
1: like tell me how it is then. Yeah. Because I just don't. I don't understand.
0: Um, do you want to know what I believe and like how that, that lands for me? Sure. Okay. So for me, I think that like, I believe we're all kind of here for a purpose. We all have seeds of greatness inside us. And like that we're all kind of unique expressions of God and that our God, I believe that God is like the consciousness that links everyone together. And so the way the stars align that maps out our personality and our conflicts and the things we're going to go through as a human, like that's all ordained. So I think like no human life is an accident. I think that every human life is precious and valuable and we're all kind of here as puzzle pieces. I think truly human ingenuity has the problem, has the ability to solve all the problems we face as a society and we have to unlock each other. Um,
1: but then and- how does the, where, where the stars are in the <laughs> sky have any connection? I'm saying that all sounds great. Yeah. Sure. But yes. the how, I
0: think the how is just in, it's like the tradition and the, and the research around like what that does and how that maps out. Cause like there's certain like houses, like where the stars are that like line up with different characteristics and personalities and challenges that you're going to have in a lifetime. So like, I'm going to say that that comes from like tradition and reverse engineering and maybe people thinking of it a really long time ago and like refining, I don't know. It's fine. OK. I see your shifty eyes. I get it. I get that. I'm, And I'm not trying to win you over. I'm just trying to explain the how and why, why I believe what I believe. Yes.
1: What do you believe, Tristan? I don't know. Don't I really know. don't. And yeah. I go through phases. And you know, there are times in my life when I felt incredibly connected to the divine, mm-hmm. um, to the unknowable, to the mystery. Um, and then there are other times when I've just been like, no, it's just all completely random. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's, it's really about, did I have a friend that died that year? You know, because sometimes when you lose someone, you're like, oh, that was meaningless. Like, there's no God. Like, who would have ever, there's no plan. Who would have ever, how, what could possibly account for the two best people I've ever known in my life dying of cancer before I'm 35, before they are 50? Yeah. Like, there's no, no. But, th- but then there are other times when, you know, I'm able to spend time outdoors, when I'm able to go to concerts, when I'm able to be like deep in a meditation practice, where I'm able to sort of tap into something that feels like, oh, there's something floating above that sometimes I have access to and sometimes I don't. Um, but then, you know, witchy white people do their thing. And then I am like, oh God, no, I'm nothing. Like I'm nothing, like it's just what I can see so it's about you know it's about ways in which things have been traumatizing to me and wielded against me mm-hmm. um it's about my own connection to things and other people and so yeah it's i don't know it's complicated
0: uh, that's that's beautiful and it's kind of funny because like for me the opposite i had a lot of friends die before i was 35 and the way i made space and meaning for that was through spirituality and that's actually how i really developed into my spirituality. because like the why doesn't make any sense right like why someone who is just so profound and really using their life for good and to impact the world and they get to keep living and no offense to my father but he's you know 71 not doing a lot and not really taking care of his precious life or his health or his body temple right like why why is that fair like why is that like that and so for me like surrendering that to something greater and like bigger and sometimes people just make a profound impact on the world in a short time you know and like I don't know. It doesn't, it's, it's, I think both ams, right? Like, and it also, I'm going to say it tracks as a Libra that you've changed your mind about what you believe.
1: (laughs) Sure. Sure. Uh,
0: Thanks for letting me have fun with that.
1: No (laughs) problem.
0: (laughs) Will you tell me, um, give me like, without without this being too LinkedIn will you give me your like elevator pitch of like what you do right now in this incarnation i know you just left a job and now you're like full time consulting and coaching and tell me what tell me what you do what who you who you help
1: yeah i mean if you want to lean into the i'm like one of my areas that i feel like i'm strong in is actually my ability to code switch and so i think if you're going to lean in to the astrology piece um, owning my Libra-ness, I feel that my calling on the planet is to bring balance. Um, for a long time, most of my life, my belief has been that too few people have too much power and so my life has really been dedicated to wrenching power from those hands and more evenly distributing them amongst the people.
0: Oh, that's amazing! How is that work sort of showing up in your life today?
1: Oh my god. Um, you know, sometimes you feel like you look back on your life and you're like, why did I do that? Like, why did I fall into that thing? And then it comes back full circle and you're like, that's why. Um, and that's just where I am right now in my life. Just all the random things that I have managed to gain some knowledge in now is what seems to be needed. Um, and so, you know, a good chunk of my work right now is working with other white folks on anti racism Um, you know, when the revolution started and people were in the streets and I was in the streets too, and also trying to own that, you know, I'm a dad, I have three kids, and now we have a a trans youth foster um, kid who's staying with us who's 16. So we have four people under 18 in my house. And I didn't know that me being in the street was the most effective thing for me to be doing right now. Um, I didn't feel safe. And like, knowing what I know, having the expertise I have, like, is that the work that I'm most called to do? Um, And so just as part of my allyship, I offered to do anti-racism coaching with white people. Um, I'm trained in that. Like, I like have a fancy certificate in anti-racism coaching facilitation, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't, I'm not big on accreditation you know or credentials but um, I did that um, and I've invested in that practice through in four different anti-racism um, methodologies schools of thought sort of training programs because um, I'd like to weave in a bunch of different ways of doing things and make something new um, and so that was my allyship work initially was I said okay 10 I will do like 10 white people who just want to spend an hour getting some tools spilling their guts like being their messy gross white people selves to like sort of exercise those demons um that's what i'll do um and then those 10 slots i think filled up in 14 minutes and i was like oh okay well then i'll open up another 10 for july you know and those filled up and people were like well can we pay you to do this um and because i was in the process of quitting my job and opening my consulting firm i thought well i you know, I feel, um, I have conflicting feelings about as a white person taking money, doing anti-racism work. Um, and so just trying to find that balance of um, honoring my expertise as someone who's invested in this. Um, trying to combat those voices that tell me as a trans person, I'm not worth anything. And I should do all of my work for free if I really loved the world. Um, <laughs> oh, God! And, uh, and so, yeah, I finally like settled on a sliding scale. And so that's some of the work that I'm doing right now is working with white folks on anti-racism stuff, and then doing a lot of system stuff, a lot of trainings, uh, workshops. um, uh, Mostly, most of that work that I do from the systems level is around queer and trans inclusion. Um, So yeah, workshops, coaching, systems change, yeah.
0: Yeah, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, So for systems change, like. What types of organizations do you work with? Who, like, who's your, like, ideal client? Like, who, who, who should reach out to you for that kind of work in an organizational level?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, just because I'm a trans man who had a baby, and my dad's a doctor, so, like, I'm a nerd. I love medicine, I love bodies, I love science, as we've already established. Um, and, and I also, and similarly, I love the science of building, like, radically welcoming spaces. Um, and so I really love working with medical providers practitioners um, uh, complementary medicine uh, acupuncture naturopaths I've done a lot of work in fertility spaces fertility clinics birth workers blah 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 um, I just launched a digital training on trans pregnancy for birth workers um, mm-hmm. which I've been doing in person for years and then I finally moved it online the pandemic forced me to so so yeah
0: uh, but, like, I love that you say the pandemic forced you to, but really, like, what a gift to the world to, like, create that, to have refined it, right? Like, because that's someone who teaches something that's a very living organism, right? My aerobics class is different every time. It was so hard to pin it down to, like, the workout videos, and it's very 2018. You know what I mean? Like, I see it, and I'm like, that's how I taught it that then, but it's different now. But, yes, yeah, it is hard to, like, commit it to, like, a webinar or whatever. But then it's available, right? So many people... Get it in.
1: is. It's more available, um, and it can continue to be a living, breathing organism. You know, I built mm-hmm. it so that it's, on, uh, it's hosted on a platform where it's not like a three-hour Zoom call of me doing my normal training. Mm-hmm. So it's a bunch of different videos, a bunch of different modules. Um, I was able to bring in four other trans and non-binary folks who have given birth, Um, To really honor that I'm not, I can only tell my story, you know, but here are four other ones. Here's like a home birth off the grid in Canada. Here's a black trans man who gave birth in Brooklyn. Um, Here's a trans guy in Houston who had a traumatic birth. Mm -hmm. Here's a non-binary person who did reciprocal IVF and carried their partner's baby. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just like, there's such a richness there that I can offer in this type of a setting. And then I can do like quizzes, downloadable PDFs, all these other tools like we talk a lot about cultivating humility. What does that actually mean? Like, how do we get out of defensiveness? How do we get out of fragility for non-trans people? So that when a trans person says, I don't like what you did, you can be like, oh my God, thank you so much. And I'm so sorry and I'll fix it. You know, so all these tools that I've created, I get to just put them all in there, which I could never do like in a typical three-hour training. So I know it has been a gift. I just don't want to be one of those, you know, those like, positive vibes only people who are like, wow, the universe has given us the pandemic as, a, as an opportunity to walk through the portal of enlightenment or whatever. And I'm like, okay, Karen, but people are dying. You know, so I just, I try to hold both, that it is really complicated and hard. And if we look for it, there are ways that we can use this really difficult situation to catapult us into a new way of being. But, you know, I just hate those people on Instagram. Mm.
0: I try really hard to actually be a person who is very positive because like I need it. Like, cause I can go, when I go dark, I can go real dark, Tristan. And like, I don't, I don't like that part of myself. It's really miserable. It's so much suffering. And so like, I try to see the opportunities, but I also try to be a very balanced, realistic person on Instagram. Um, And like, but I also think like, you know, if anything this pandemic has done for us, it's shown corporations that they can provide access to work for people who can't commute you know what I mean like this is a real th- like we we could have been more accommodating this whole time and here's here's how this forced you into a level of accommodation that enables more people to get work even as many
1: people don't have work right now
0: um, yeah
1: I mean so that- I think that's I think that's a totally realistic um, example of something that may come out of this that's good you yeah. know, my dearest friend is like this is going to be the fall of capitalism and I was like listen capitalism is, capitalism has survived way worse than a pandemic Um, you know, and people are like, well, now these idiot libertarians will be like, oh, we actually do need a government to take care of us in a crisis. And I'm like, no, they definitely are still going to believe that corporations will, will do what's right for us. So, but I don't know. I used to be much more optimistic and, and I still think of myself as positive. It's just when you're so open and positive, like life just really gets (laughs) you.
0: I mean, I don't think being positive means life's going to get you. Life's getting you no matter what. Like, life will life at you.
1: No, I disagree. Because, okay, so I operate like I will, I am a zero sometimes, I'm a 10 sometimes. My partner is like a four to a six, like always. Like, doesn't get too upset or too excited. What that means is when hard stuff happens, my partner is like almost completely unaffected by those things. Why? Because they didn't invest in those things to begin with. Yeah. I didn't have like so much openness to how wonderful and how terrible things can be. When you are that open, things do sink in, I think, at a deeper level. And in some ways, I'm super jealous of people who do operate at that more limited scope. But also, my superpower is having access to that full range. Yeah. Just means I haven't, I mean, almost 40, and I still haven't developed successfully the boundaries and borders that I, borders that I need to, like, let good stuff in, but, like, not also let bad stuff in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know what I think? I don't think, I think your partner is so wise, and, like, that's a level of emotional maturity, to be, like, to really just find the joy. For me, it's, like, I like to stay between a four and a six. That's something I learned in Al-Anon. It's, like, really helpful, actually, because, like, you never get, like, too excited. I mean, I get excited, you know, and I find joy in, like, looking forward to a banana after my forest walk, right? Like something really ordinary, but I find joy in it. And so I feel like I can be really positive and also stay like emotionally mature, like not let things like knock me off my rocker, I guess. I don't know. Um, So, but I'm curious, like for you as like, let's let's actually, I want to dive back in. I want to hear like your kind of life story. Like how did you get where you were like, when you were growing up were you always different How, was it agonizing to be like in your body and like like what was it like when did you come out like like give me the kind of backstory
1: um well i'm canadian by birth so i have like typical canadian like they're liberal but it's mostly they're just not so invested in other people that's just the sort of the Canadian ethos, you know? Like it, it that's what's so weird to Canadians about Americans is, is just like, we're just so, so much. Canadians are religious, but like only a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, they're, they're liberal, but like only a little bit. It's just not, they're conservative, but only a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, my parents are pretty much in that. Oh, they've radicalized as they've gotten older, for sure. They're way more liberal now than they were when I was a kid. But, you know, just like very reasonable, moderate, thoughtful, academic-y sort of intellectual people. But we moved when I was very little to a very conservative um, part of Southern California in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Um, And so, yeah, I was raised in a really, like, liberal supportive household in a, like, that was inside of a really conservative small town. Um, It's like an outlet mall town.
0: You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Is it, um, how close is it to Palm Springs in the Coachella Valley? Oh
1: no, totally opposite, not totally opposite directions, but if you're going to drive from LA to Las Vegas. Okay. You'll drive through Palmdale is where I'm Palmdale. from. So the okay. Antelope Valley. Yeah. Or if you drive from LA to like um, Bakersfield. huh? I don't know why you'd do that, but if you were going to, yeah. you drive through Lancaster. Um, Got so yeah, it's right next to an Air Force base, very military, very conservative, um, right, quite, quite racially diverse, um, but no, but still very conservative. No analysis around race, racism, difference. Um, I wasn't-
0: parents leave Canada?
1: (laughs) I've asked them that so many times. My mom is like, oh, I was tired of the rain. And I'm like, that is no reason to move to the middle of the desert But also, like, it's where they were able to immigrate to. They needed the type of doctor that my dad is in that area. Mm -hmm. It was super close to LA. So there were some amazing cultural things. Like, I was super into theater as a kid, which will surprise no one. (laughs) Um, But, and so my mom could, like, drive me down to LA and I could do theater and see plays and do things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we got to, we did, we could drive to Santa Barbara. It was like three hours and go to the beach. Mm -hmm. My Um, mom's
0: family did exactly that. They moved from Canada to southern california and my grandmother says it was i mean i think grandmother wanted to live in hollywood but she didn't until later in her life but she like she said we didn't like the snow so my mom is like 12 years old and just gets immigrated here in the back of the car and like here you are southern california welcome from canada okay right
1: right (laughs) um yeah and i was a very strange child like a very strange child um mostly around like the social justice shit Mm -hmm. like I didn't really have great language and I still have just so much shame and regret about sort of like my early awakenings and how messy they were on the people around me um but you know I like I became a vegetarian when I was 10 and was super into animal rights and then in middle school at the very end of my seventh grade year in our biology class they were like oh now you have to dissect frogs like they added it to the curriculum and I was like no I'm not going to do that and they're like okay well then we're going to fail you like, mind you, I'm in seventh grade. Like, I'm, this isn't even high school. Um, but um, I was like, well, that doesn't seem right. I don't want to have to do something that I don't believe in. Like, I don't eat animals. I don't want to participate in an animal being killed for my education. Yeah. Um, and so, but the school stood their ground and they were like, no, we'll fail you. You have to do this. It's required. So then I reached out to PETA. This is like the early 90s. So then I reached out to PETA and they were like, oh, that's completely against the law. Um, here's a bunch of like materials to help you make your case and like if they don't listen like we think that you should call the news and so i called the news and so i ended up on the news and i staged a walkout with other students Um, and we had like signs in front of the the school and everything and then finally the superintendent for the whole district came down to the school and was like okay fine like we'll let you do something alternative to this um And my parents really stood with me you know from being a vegetarian my mom was like i think it's great that you're making a sacrifice for something that you believe in like i'll cook vegetarian that's a small adjustment again that was in 1992. so that's pretty in the middle of the like the mojave desert um so they always did that same with the the marches you know my mom was just sort of like well i'll help you make signs like whatever you need to do Um, so even though they didn't totally understand it i think that they were just you know, they understood and and were proud that I was willing to take a stand for something. Um, And I think that instilled in me really early on that, that my voice mattered and could make a difference. Mm. And I think not everyone has those experiences early. Um, Yeah, but I didn't, I mean, but the trans thing doesn't come until way later. I really didn't understand that I was trans until I was like 18, 19,
0: 20. Wow. How did that realization come? And did you come out like as you know, because some people before they transition or, or realize about their gender identity, they kind of come out as gay because like that's the option they saw or whatever, like it's part of their sexuality, which we know sexuality and gender are different, but.
1: Yeah, I mean that whole that whole like age 15 to 20 is just like super murky. Like I definitely knew I was queer. Like I knew I was queer from as early as I can remember. Like when I was nine and like did my first play and I like met gay men and I was like, oh, that but you couldn't be a gay man if you're a nine-year-old girl like what yeah <laughs> doesn't make any damn sense you know but but getting but getting older and being in theater and then doing dance and, and you know that kind of a thing I knew I was queer somehow and when I was 15 I told my mom that I was bisexual um that I had kissed my friend Kelly at a party and she was like Kelly is your least attractive friend <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That might be the best coming out story I've ever heard. And I've heard a lot. The, the critique of who you were kissing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care all- about the bisexuality, but you need to raise your standards, Tristan. Yes.
1: And, you know, honestly, like, that's also just, like, quintessentially my mom. Like, my mom <laughs> is not, she's not so much now, but definitely when I was younger, like, it's very judgmental. Like, very judgmental. Um, so, yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay, keep going.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, and then I can always, I can remember thinking like, like something, you know, there's something here. Um, and all my boyfriends in high school were gay. I wasn't actually attracted to girls. I just like wanted to pass into queerness. And I liked girls, it's not that I didn't like girls, um, but I just was not ever attracted to them. So like, even when I had girlfriends, it was like, I just wanted to like do fun stuff with them, not like making out.
0: Yeah, exactly. I wanna just do a quick PSA for anybody listening to this. You don't need permission to be queer. Like if you feel queer in you, in you like just, you get to be queer, right? Like there's no hall pass, there's no committee. Uh, There's quite a few gay cards I would revoke if I were given that power, and yet no one has bestowed that upon me. So this is my welcome mat. to anyone who just, if you feel that spark of like, I don't understand what my sexuality is or where this is, you don't have to go kiss your least attractive friend in order to be queer.
1: Well, tell that to me at 15. You know, like we didn't have any language. Nothing. No No, one in media,
0: nothing. nothing.
1: Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. Um, which, and we tried to start a GSA at our school, and our vice principal said no. Um, Not surprising
0: from the same administration with that frog thing.
1: That's right. Yeah. Um, but that vice principal was Mormon, and he mm-hmm. is right now in prison, huh. um, for having a sexual relationship with a male student.
0: Wow. So he's like, no GSA, because, uh, I got these, these kids on lock. Um, well,
1: it's also like... M- it's obviously just anecdotal, but it backs up a lot of the evidence we have that it's self-hatred. Like that's where homophobia comes from is like people have stuff that they're not able to express in a healthy, appropriate way, which obviously a grown man having a relationship with a teenager is not, it's 100% unhealthy all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's also possible that he was just closeted and gay and knew that with the power dynamic with a younger person, a teenager, not a child, a teenager, uh-huh. it, might have, it might have been a way where he thought he could get what he wanted um, in a safer way than with an adult. Uh-huh. Icky, 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 icky. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't until a few years after that that it became a little bit more clear that it's actually some gender stuff going on. Um, and it was just a slow realization and I went by gender neutral pronouns for a while and I had a transitional name um, just as I tried to figure out my path, um, and even when I started transitioning, like taking testosterone, even then, like I wasn't totally sure that I was trans. I was like, I didn't know. Like, is there a pass? You know, where's the door? I can't find it. Like, am I allowed in? Am I trans enough? Am I queer enough? And, you know, again, that's so long ago. It's like the dark ages in trans years, basically. Really. I didn't any gay trans men? So uh-huh. the fact that I liked men. And wanted to be a man like not even my queer friends understood that now of course it's different but um and finally just like a slightly older now in retrospect he's probably like 24 but he seemed like a grandpa to me at the time um <laughs> but he was like it's okay if you don't know and you can just try and if you don't like it then you can just stop i was like oh okay and he's like because we live in a transphobic world there, there may always be voices trying to tell you you're not this enough or that enough. And you, all you can do is to just try and see if it works. And if it does, wait. And if not, that's okay too. You didn't fail. It's just more information. Yeah. So I started transitioning. and
0: How old were you when you took
1: um, hormones? I think I started 18, 19, 20. So I was taking right them on the...
0: Oh, I was just trying to contextualize this with that conversation. So was this like kind of predating you starting hormones or just like, yes, you-
1: no, this is before this okay. is before I started taking okay. hormones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think I want to start testosterone, but I'm not sure. And he was like, yeah, dude, like so many of us are not sure. That's okay. Yeah. Some people for sure are born and are like, I'm a dude and then they have like their earliest memories, but like not everyone. And that's okay too.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's what, it's all. Okay. And, what's interesting when you say like you're not feeling trans enough or like all that enough, it's not just for oppressed people. Like people, um, millionaires feel like they're not enough. Like people, some of the richest people in the world still feel a deficit in enoughness. And that's just from how we're coded around belonging. And when uh, people say your belonging is conditional based on your behavior or your conformity, then that kind of quiets our actual human diversity, which is like within all of us. And like everybody has like, things that make them different. And like white cisgender men with money, like who are like at the top of this pyramid, it's just like, uh, it's so fragile when 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 your power and your enoughness and your belonging is dependent on conditions and conformity that that like creates, you know, all this toxicity. And so it's so interesting how like, you know, we feel not enough and like that's kind of like a tool of the white hetero capitalist patriarchy, but then also they don't feel enough either you know, and it's just like, it's, it's the most common feeling that I think humans have that we don't talk about enough is that people don't feel enough and they already are, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, that's a big part of what I work with white people on, is this idea that like, I'm not doing enough to fight racism, I'm not doing the right thing, I'm putting my energy in the wrong space, but then one person says I'm not doing enough and then I'm doing that and then this is wrong and then that's wrong. And you know, it's, that's a huge thing is, you know, one of the 10 tools that I work with that I teach people is resilience. And by that, I literally mean you get so strong and so secure in what your unique genius is and what your sphere of influence is. And you do all your work right there where you can be, do the deepest work, the most effective work, have the biggest impact. And that way when people come at you with that not enoughness shit, you're resilient against it. You can be like, I hear that you want me to be marching in the streets, but I have social anxiety. I can't do that. I'm immunocompromised. I can't do that, but I'm an artist and I can create art that continues to push the cultural conversation around black lives and anti-blackness and anti-racism and white supremacy. Um, you get so clear in that, that none of that other noise even permeates.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so oh, great. Um, that's Oh my God. It's, it's, it sounds like, it sounds great. It sounds easy. It's not easy. It's the hardest shit you'll ever do. It's to learn how to be enough. Um, and, and again, achieve that balance, right? Like that balance between like needing to refine and learn and get better. Try, fail, try again. Right. Try, fail, learn, try again. Right. Um, uh, can you tell me, so where did you go to college? And like, when you were transitioning, did you, were you able to get medically prescribed hormones or did you have to like, you know, go to the streets because this was the '90s, so it it was harder to transition back then.
1: Yeah, like 2000, 2001 um, is I, is is when I started taking hormones, and it's not that I couldn't get it from a doctor. I didn't think a doctor would believe me. Yeah, that I was trans. Um, I was not like super macho. I wasn't, you know, super. I just wasn't any of the things that all of the other trans people around me were. And I liked men and I didn't want to lie about that, you know? And so I was just really scared of the gatekeeping stuff. And so I did get hormones off the black market for several years. Um, At the time, it just felt like I was buying it from friends. But then in retrospect, I'm like, that's the black market, Tristan. (laughs) Duh. Um, uh, And so it wasn't until I got accepted into performing arts school that I like went to a doctor to do it the right way because I wanted to transition, like actually transition, not testosterone whenever I could get it um, under the tutelage of vocal instructors, because I was worried about my singing voice. Oh, Um, And so that's, yeah. And so I didn't go to college. Um, I did a semester at Oregon State and it was not for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually didn't even graduate high school. I tested out of high school. Um, I've never been good at school. uh, there's like, there, I definitely had undiagnosed ADHD. And so there was a lot of stuff around attention, focus, discipline, mm-hmm. and what that had created in me over all the years of living with undiagnosed ADHD, um, was just a, a belief about myself that I was lazy, that I was, that I, maybe I was smart. I knew I was smart, mm-hmm. but I just like, I was lazy. Like I couldn't work hard. I couldn't do it. Like I was just always going to fuck up. Yeah. And so, you know, I carried that into my adulthood, and I did a semester of college, couldn't hack it, dropped out, um, just lived in Portland for a few years, um, had a really, really horrific abusive partner Mm. for a year and a half, really early on in my life, um, which was, uh, which really, like, impacted my own blueprint of myself. Um, And I've been undoing that for the last 16 years.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, what does healing from that look like for you? Because I know a lot of people who have that work to do.
1: It is, it is just, it's so hard. You know, I work a lot with high schoolers and college students, you know, who are queer and I always tell them, I know I'm not supposed to give you advice, but don't date people who are mean to you.
0: Yes. That's such good advice. Actually. Don't date people who are mean to you.
1: Don't date people who are mean to you. Yeah. And now I've created, I created curriculum on like queer, healthy relationships for queer, you know, queer young people. Cause I didn't know that shit.
0: Wait, that's a thing you do?
1: Yes. Oh my God, that's yes. so valuable. I created it for um, <laughs> Agnes Scott College, which is right outside of Atlanta. It's a formerly, it's a historically women's college, but working to be more gender diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I did the thing that I always do, which is like, I just like, They said will you come to our campus and i was like sure and instead of just doing a keynote why don't i also do three other workshops Uh oh (laughs) i like crashed my thing
0: i just want to tell everyone who didn't get to watch that happen that like kristen made a flamboyant arm gesture and then toppled the dry erase board yeah Mm -hmm. flamboyant arms okay right my favorite
1: um yeah so i just said like oh and i'll do three workshops and they're like great we'll take that package and i was like Yay, now I have to create some <laughs> workshops. Yeah. Um, so I did. I just thought, like, what do I wish I'd known at 19, 20, 21? And I was like, how to be in a fucking healthy relationship. How to say no. Yeah. How to figure out what I like and what I don't like. And how to be okay with people breaking up with me. Oh, my God. And how to be honest about what I wanted and needed. And how to figure out what kind of relationship style I want, liked. Um, yeah. And so, so that's part of the healing for me is trying to figure out, like, what tools do I wish i had had, and then codify it, and then use that to try and help other young queer people not get taken advantage of by really damaged folks who have not done their healing work. Oh my God. Um, yeah, and, and being with really nice people helps after that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but not too nice. I was with a lot of people who were just too nice, and I was like, oh, I've overcorrected. You know, I've gone too far in the other direction, and this is just a boring person who's obsessed with me. I don't need that.
0: I like to call that beige. When the personality is just beige, it's not for me. It's a flamboyant human uh, who might knock over a dry erase board before this conversation is over. Myself, it's just so hard to be with someone boring. Like it's just you need you need dynamic stuff, but you also need people who have growth and are interested in growing and. One of the most liberating things I ever heard as a young queer adult was from Dan Savage. And he said, and I know he's problematic, but like people say good things and bad things, but Dan Savage said this amazing thing. He's like, dating gay people is like dating Vietnam veterans. He's like, they're not like the regular population. They've been through more trauma than a typical person. So they're more likely to traumatize you. And like, that was just so freeing to like, understand that, like that we're all just broken. And, and kind of breaking each other when we date and like try to find connection and recreate all the chaos from our damaged upbringing. So,
1: yeah, and, and to
0: sure be, that crosses sexuality too, but.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. And to be honest, like being with my partner that I'm with now, it's yeah. like being with someone who is so on their shit yeah. that they don't allow you to re-traumatize them. They don't allow you to wield your hurt as a weapon against them. You know, there are so many examples I have from early on in our relationship where I tried to be, like, controlling. Like, oh, no, you can't be friends with that person because they're cuter than me.
0: You and said that? And insecure.
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. It was <laughs> me 10 years ago. I'm, like, what, number 27, 28. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm, like, yeah, you have a friend that I know wants to hook up with you who's way cuter than me. And I have had people in the past cheat on me. And so I don't feel comfortable with you being friends with someone who I know has the hots for you, you know? And then my partner was sort of like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And that's not my problem. And you don't get to control who I'm friends with. That sounds unhealthy to me. And so just having someone just like lay down the line, not to be like, oh my babe, I would never cheat on you at all, at all. No. It was like, none of that matters. I'm not even going to go down that road with you because that road is stupid. And it's, re, it's strengthening your own insecurity to, to continue to rely on me to tell you, I would never cheat on you. You know, it was just like, look, if you trust the commitment that we have with each other, then I get to hang out with hot people. I get to hang out with hot people that have the hots for me. And if there's anything I've done to make you feel like I'm not trustworthy, then that's the conversation we have. But if not, then I'm going to go have lunch with my friends and you can call your therapist. <laughs> but so, so many instances like that. And truly having someone that didn't buy into my, my, my shit, deeply healing. Yeah. Cause then it allowed me to do the work mm-hmm. that I needed to do to not continue to rely on someone to, to, reassure me, but to get to the place where I'm like, oh, right. Okay. And then just being a good, just being a good person. Like I just, it sounds so basic, but I've just worked really hard on that. Like I just really work hard to be in my integrity and to be a great partner and to be honest and hardworking and loving and supportive. And that's how I hacked all my insecurities. You know, I just thought like at any point, my partner's going to wake up and be like, Oh my God, who have I married? I could do way better than this. And at some point I realized like that insecurity may always be there. So instead of trying to stuff it down or make it go away, instead you just be like, what if when my partner wakes up and realizes they could do better, I am better? Like what if I just think like what would be the perfect person to be with this amazing human I've picked? Then like I should just work to be that. That's not hard. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: One percent better every day is a very doable thing. And like totally. most people forget and don't give themselves credit for what is possible. They just like get into growing and stick to growth. And also, I cannot wait to use the line, I'm gonna go have lunch with my friend and you're gonna call your therapist.
1: (laughs) But having someone to just say like, okay, so I'm so sorry that happened to you, but that's not my responsibility. Yeah. It's profound. And then it did free me up to do the kind of work that I needed to do. And to be honest, I still hear that mean person mm. that I lived with and was in love with, I still hear them in my head sometimes telling me that I ain't shit, Ugh. you know, that I'm not, that I will never amount to anything, that no one will ever listen to me. I mean, still, and I'm a grown ass man. Yeah, with four kids. I've been on the moth, okay? That was a bucket list for me and I was on the moth. Uh-huh. And still, still, and that stupid person tried to offend me on Facebook recently.
0: They will always try to come for you. I think it's, I truly I really believe everyone's emotionally abusive exes will try to come for them during this quarantine because everyone's real vulnerable. Mine did, first thing, so like the March 15th, this quarantine happened March 17th, I heard from them. And like, I'm just like, and I've heard from other emotionally abusive exes. And I'm like, it's cool. Good luck to you. I don't need to talk to you. Um, what
1: when, you're do you- ready, when you're ready to message me and say yeah i'm so fucking sorry
0: exactly if, if your message does not start with that
1: no when it is just it a friend itself, request yeah never. never and i had a partner that i was not nice to mm. like a hundred percent and that has that also has stuck with me for years for mm. over a decade and it was only very recently maybe three months ago in therapy when i brought it up and i was like hey like i keep having dreams where i find him and say sorry oh. I'm like, sorry i was a dick you did not deserve to be treated that way. I take full responsibility for that. Um, and he was like, okay, well, then why don't you just send him that message? And I was like, well, isn't that super self-serving? And he's like, I don't think so. You can just write someone and, and take accountability for what you did. Mm. I was like, oh. He's like, how would you feel if someone who'd been mean to you in the past did that? I was like, that would feel great. That would feel great to just be like, you, aren't, you didn't make that up. I was awful hmm I'm sorry. So, so yeah. Did you yeah. do it? Oh yeah, I did.
0: Did it feel like, did you feel the release? Did you stop having it? Immediately,
1: immediately. Oh, okay. So good. I haven't even checked to see, cause it was a, it was a Facebook, actually this is even wilder, more wild. This is part of what the, the like, where I do get a little bit into the witchy space. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I am like, oh, there's something. Because I have not, I have not, this is a person, an ex of mine who is a straight man. We don't have any friends in common. He lives in Hawaii, right? We, nothing. And he has the most generic name you could ever, like as close to John Smith as you could imagine. Mm-hmm. So I've never been able to even find him on Facebook because I've like, looked to be like, could I make this right? Like at some point over the years, every six months or so, I just try to find him. Nowhere. So generic. How could I ever do this? And then I had this conversation with a therapist. My therapist is like, yeah, you need to let this go. And part of how you let it go, you know, the, the German word for guilt is the same as the German word for debt. Oh. And so I was like, oh, that's right. I owe him a debt. And I need to make it. I, I need to make it right. Mm. And the next day. So I make this commitment in therapy. I'm like, right, I'm gonna write to him. I'm gonna find a way to get a hold of it. The next day. I go to a craft store with my kids and I run into the one person that I know who also knows him. And I have not seen this person in at least 12 years. Wow. The next day. And it happened. I'm in the craft store with my kids. I never go here. I'm never in this part of town. I look over, I see him and I'm like, there it is. There's the opening. And it was, and I, what really was like just me putting out the good stuff of like, I want to find healing and I want to, give someone else an opportunity to heal. If, if there's a wound there, mm-hmm. it is like literally the channels opened and there it was. And I saw him across the street, I was like, there he is. And I went over and he's like, oh my God, Tristan, you're so good, we caught up. And then when it felt appropriate, I was like, by the way, are you still connected to our mutual friend, my ex? Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh yeah, we're still friends on Facebook. He was in Hawaii, he got married, now he's in Bend. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds so amazing. You know, I wonder if you think he might be open to me sending him a message um, to just let him know that I'm really sorry for the way that our relationship ended and that, you know, I really want to take accountability for not being a good partner. And he was like, you know, he's never told me how things ended. He never says anything bad about you, but I'm sure he would love that. Just, you know, find him on my Facebook and we friended each other. And like literally within 24 hours, I was able to send that email, that message that I had been composing in my head for a decade, over a decade, Wow, that fast. And that's, you know, so that's, that's part of the rise and fall of the like belief system and spirituality and stuff. Cause I've been having dreams where I see him and I apologize for so long. And I even have lucid dreams where I ask the dream version of him, help me find you. Like, where are you in the world? I need to find you. Mm. And I haven't been able to do it. Um, But but as soon as I put that intentionality out there and said, I'm committing to doing this, to finding him, right, immediately. So yeah. crazy.
0: That's amazing. I love that.
1: I don't even check. I don't even check to see. I mean, it, I assume it went to his other folder. I don't know, because it's Facebook. I don't know if he read it or not. Mm-hmm. But it's gone. You know, it's gone. That, that feeling of... The debt. The debt. Yeah. Yeah, it's paid.
0: That's so good. I mean, here's the thing too. I think I want people to hear is that closure is not something that you need other people to be part of.
1: You well, this have- is Dan Savage too. Oh, is it? Yes. He says closure is something you give okay. yourself.
0: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's just, it's a choice. And like, you can't wait around. Cause anytime you're like, I need my ex to have a conversation with me because I need closure. No, you need closure nope. from you and you need to leave your ex alone. Um, <laughs> Cause most people aren't, most people aren't growing. I'll say this, like on this but it's sad but true if everyone was growing we would literally solve all the problems that we have as a society but the problem is too many people aren't growing so like those people who you like want to get validation from or whatever they're not going to be available for that and you need to be available for it you need to be available for your growth and write your letters that you maybe never send to the people you feel like owe a debt to you or that you owe a debt to that it would be because you know in, in 12 step stuff they say like making amends except where to do so it would cause harm and right so and some people you can't apologize to because it would cause harm but okay. you can apologize in yourself you can create that closure and work on that stuff um, potentially with an anti-racism coach to, to wrap it all into what you're doing and the service you're providing.
1: It's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, That's a, and the, this, this concept of, I, I call it mutual accountability, mm-hmm. but what happens is when white people are early on in their process, they solely look to people of color for validation. Yeah. And then as they get a little further in their process, they like never want to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's often the people that I get that I'm like, no, no, it is like, it is literally okay to ask the marginalized people in your life, like, hey, I want to be a great friend to you. How am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like, that's okay. Like, Bevan, like, what would it look like if a man in your life came to you and said, you know, I'm sorry it took me so long, but the Me Too movement has really woken me up. I really am committed to being a great feminist. I want to do a better job. Is there a time when you feel that I have acted out of sexism and I've caused harm to you? I want to take accountability for that. I want to make it right if I can. Wow. What would that, What would would you be like, how dare you make me do that emotional labor for you?
0: (laughs) No, I would not.
1: (laughs) And has a man ever done that to you?
0: No, but I also will say that only recently have I developed friendships with straight men. (laughs) And so I have a very well curated amount of feminist straight men in my life who give a shit about being men of character. Totally. So like, that's who I roll with. I
1: often say like, what if your brother or your dad? Okay.
0: Brother or an old at, Boss
1: boss, to you sure. and said, like, yeah. I want to do better. Yeah. I want to I take accountability. I want to learn. I want to grow. Yeah. Um, and, and we do, you know, we do often get so fragile and we get so, like, oh, well, I don't want to put someone in that position of having to educate me. Okay, that's great. Of course not. Don't use someone as a Google machine. Yeah. But, like, also, you have to build in accountability you have to be able to name there's a difference between us. And I want to make sure it doesn't get in the way of our friendship by being accountable to you. I want you to know I'm open to hearing you. Oh,
0: my God. So good. Oh, that's so juicy.
1: And then you're going to listen, and then you're going to believe them. And you're not going to get defensive. And you're going to be grateful for the learning that's there. And you're going to receive their feedback with wisdom um, to be able to discern when it's colored by their stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And when
1: you really did overstep.
0: And you're going to respect their boundaries. If they do say that's too much emotional labor for me, I don't feel like digging yep. that up. And I'm glad you're doing this work. Peace and riches blessings.
1: You know exactly.
0: What I mean? Like, yeah, it's and and that's okay too. And also, it's our work as people who've experienced depression to decide if we want to open our boundaries enough to, to tell people about that. Because, like, honestly, most of the stuff I've experienced, uh, fat phobia, you know, sexism, homophobia, all those things, I've I've pretty much handled that stuff you know what I mean like I don't really need to dig in and um, but yeah like anyway I want to get to before we have to wrap I want to get to just your experience as a gestational parent or however you want to term that um, and like what that was like and like maybe what you wish you had known before you transitioned considering being a gestational pregnant person because I don't even know what the mechanics of getting pregnant are as a person who's transitioned
1: well, when two people love each other very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding.
0: I know uh, people can have a baby, Tristan.
1: <laughs> okay, well, that's how we did it. So there's no mechanics there. <laughs> um no, I mean, it is, you know, it's complicated for many people, less complicated for others. Um, I, you know, I just stopped taking my testosterone, regained my ovulatory cycle. My partner and I did the same thing we have been doing before, but I was off testosterone. I got pregnant. I had a baby. Bada bing, bada boom. Oh, wow. So your partner was able to impregnate you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know.
0: They, I never yeah. know who's trans or not.
1: I know. That's so funny. <laughs> we have, my partner always is so flattered when people assume that they're... A trans guy they're like that means i haven't said anything so offensive that i have outed myself as not a trans guy Mm. um but um uh but yeah my partner my partner's body makes sperm i have eggs and a uterus it was just the easiest way we've adopted two older kids and we wanted to grow our family and we couldn't do another adoption and So, it was just the easiest, cheapest way for us to do it. And then I ended up telling my story publicly, which became its whole other thing. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, tell me about going viral about your story of becoming pregnant.
1: Yeah. Um, It was, uh, um, sorry, I'm just running a few minutes late.
0: Thanks, Kristen. I can't believe this conversation has gone so fast.
1: I know, I'm so sorry.
0: Oh, I just apologize. This is the three o'clock
1: thing. Um, Uh, yeah, I mean it was not expected. I did plan to tell her story publicly. It was when, you know, it was during the time when Janet Mock and Laverne Cox and other trans women of color, you know, were constantly being put in this position to both answer invasive questions about themselves and their bodies and trans people and also do the labor of explaining why those invasive questions were inappropriate. Um, and, you know, as a trans guy, it's like for so many years, my job was if I got handed a microphone, I handed that microphone off to a trans woman. Like that was my job. Um, we didn't want or need to be in the spotlight. There were more marginalized people that were more personally and directly impacted by transphobia than we were. And so we, we got into this moment where the, it kind of, it kind of flipped where it just started to feel immoral to let trans women of color do all the work of trans education on this public scale. It just felt so gross watching them do that, that, like emotional pretzeling of like tying yourself in a knot to make cisgender people happy while also trying to leave them better than you found them. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, you know, because I'm white, because I live in Portland, because unless I'm pregnant and in the news, I'm not someone who is read as being trans, Uh, given all those privileges, um, it seemed really appropriate that I tell my story publicly and because I would be better able to take some of the backlash than people who are more marginalized um, and to try to take some of the burden off of the shoulders of trans women of color to tell a a trans story that was a positive one like Janet Mock, like Laverne Cox, they're like out there doing the most Mm -hmm. um, and kind of use the pregnant man headline as like a hook to get in that door to start to tell the story about our family and, and love, family love, romantic love, community love, all those things I thought I was saying no to when I came out as trans in whatever, 2000, um, to be able to, to shift that narrative a little bit. Um, and I just didn't know it was gonna blow up the way that it did. I mean, but it did.
0: It did. Um, I'm curious uh, if you can just share you Did you have top surgery before you got pregnant?
1: I did not, know.
0: Oh, you didn't. Okay. So you were able to breastfeed?
1: Um, I may have been physically able, but I chose not to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that's not something that I wanted to do.
0: Yeah. I was just curious because, like, I feel like some people, I mean, now that we know what's possible, right, for people and bodies and transition and, like, maybe one day gestationally caring, like, I'm curious about, like, um, advice you would give to, like, a young trans person who hasn't made any body modifications, if there's anything they can do to, like, <clears throat>
1: I mean, it it depends on how old they are. Um, If they're post pubescent, Mm -hmm. I mean, advice is so complicated, but um, people can definitely preserve their fertility and all the data that we have, and now there are lots of studies, academic, medically rigorous, scientifically rigorous studies um, that show that testosterone does not impact egg quality or quantity. Oh. Um, so, as long as you are happy going off of testosterone and harvesting your eggs or getting pregnant yourself, you don 't have to preserve your fertility before you transition, but a lot of people don 't want to do that they don 't want to go off of their hormones, get their period back, um, get pregnant, or have an invasive procedure to harvest their eggs. So you know a lot of more people every day are doing fertility preservation ahead of time. The top surgery question it 's really a matter of choice. Um, you know, it depends on how dysphoric you are about your chest, um, and you just have to weigh your decisions like everything else. Um, I don't belong to the cult of breastfeeding. Um, I don't think that human milk um, is the magical cure to all things that have ever ailed humans ever. Um, I understand that people think that it's free, it's only free if you don't value the time of the breastfeeding person. Um, I understand that people think that it's easy that 's not true. over ten percent of people who aren 't otherwise trans or anything are not physically able to produce enough milk for their babies, and we get stuck into a transphobic anti feminist shame spiral about what our bodies are meant to do or not meant to do about what 's natural and what 's unnatural and that that shame um, the like you know the, the sort of like breastfeeding movement. Um, is having, because I work with hundreds of trans people all over the world, it's having a deleterious effect. I've never used that word before, but it's having a profoundly negative effect on trans people because they're feeling guilted and shamed into using their bodies in a way that they don't want to. Some trans people do want to chest feed, and that's great. Some don't or can't, or it's causing them severe distress or they had top surgery because they couldn't live anymore with that body. Um, And people are making them feel really, really horrific and they're having to choose between their mental health and feeding their baby. When I'm like, okay, there are so many other perfectly, like 100% equal options, especially when you factor in the mental health of the birthing person Mm -hmm. um, that are like just as good, just as healthy, just as safe. So, you know. Yes.
0: I love that. Um, so Tristan, how can people find you? How can people find your webinar? Because you teach about this. There's hours of this content available because there's a webinar now. Um, Mm -hmm. how people find this, how do people book you for anti-racism coaching and or Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, my website is collaborate.consulting. Um, that's my website and then personally online on Instagram and Facebook, I'm Biff and I, my partner's name is Biff. And so we're just Biff and I, Um, and so you can see baby pictures there. I love him so much. His little face. I posted today, him playing with his, my little pony dolls. And I'm like me, like queer me at 18 would just be like, so mortified that I had kids at all, but would be like overjoyed that I have like a three-year-old boy toddler who like loves my little. Good. Yeah. Uh, But uh, I really appreciate you connecting with me.
0: Uh, You're a miracle. More soon, please. I cannot believe how swiftly this hour and 11 minutes went. (laughs) Thank you so much for hanging in there telling your story and sharing with all of us. And um, I just appreciate you so much, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you. So that's the show. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tristan. I hope you leave feeling inspired to get out of your own way, drop some of your insecurities by just getting a little bit better every day. Imagine this a year from now, you've gotten 1% better every day, kept showing up for yourself. What could change? What could your life look like? But I want you to know, no matter what, exactly as you are right now, you are worthy of love. There's nothing you need to change in order to be worthy of love. You are valuable. Your value comes from just being here and existing. And I am just so proud of you for being here. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next week.